When you said in that video that Ms. Leeds would not be your first choice, you were referring to her physical looks, correct? Just the overall. Not my, I, I look at her, I see her, I hear what she says, whatever. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. I'm, being, I'm honest when I say it. Uh, she, I would not have any interest in. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hi, I am. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Same old mate. What about you? Thunderstorms. Didn't you say it's thunderstorming outside? It's been thundering and lightning. Yes, I always love a good summer, a good summer storm. It, they're just more fun than a storm in the winter. I could kind of hear it. You don't, you don't really get that in Los Angeles or in California in general. You don't get as many thunderstorms as you do um, elsewhere, especially in like the Midwest or, or as I noticed last week in the East Coast, like it fucking rain there. It was crazy. I was in uh, New York last week visiting JoJo Kelly. Got to hang out with uh, multi-twat man from the Discord. Um, a lot of shenanigans. Okay, I'll get into all of that in detail on the, uh, on the second show. Um, but this, this week, we got a lot to cover. It's going to be a two-part episode, two-parter, which yes, uh, we don't do as one. often. But sometimes when it's like we have such a good topic that's like, you know, so vast, kind of need to cut it up a little bit. So anyway, Kate Rambo. When you were a teen, you were a bit troubled. You were a troubled teen when you were growing up. You had a drunk dad. I was. You had a uh, somewhat apathetic mother. Um, Mm -hmm. Did your parents ever take you to a psychologist when you were growing up to find out what is the source of Kate Rambo's aggression? Uh, No, but I know yours did because they thought you were mental. (laughs) Didn't think I was mental. Your mom took you to a psychologist because she thought you were mental. Well, we had a family psychologist because of Jeffrey's behavioral issues. And no, I thought she took you when you turned around and said, Mommy, I'm, I don't want to eat meat anymore. And she took you to a psychologist. Well, we went to the family psychologist because this guy was... Oh, this... right. So you had a family psychologist. Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey had a lot of behavioral issues you know, surprisingly, and not to mention a flagrant disrespect for authority. <laughs> Jeffrey just always, and he still does. Jeffrey just does what he wants I to do. I love Jeffrey. But um, my, you know, raising Jeffrey as a parent, I imagine, must have been very difficult. So, you know, I know my mom and dad, first of all, my dad was very involved, you know, being a rabbi in, in the Jewish community and, and not really super involved domestically. So my mom, I think it, it fell on my mom to kind of try to, to rein Jeffrey in, but Jeffrey's a bad kid. Even when he was young, Jeffrey ran away from home when he was like 11. He was just a bad kid. I think he, I think he was already yeah. drinking by 11. 
can we be bring back i want to bring back the era when you know you would have a little knapsack in the checkered print and you would have a newspaper boy hat on and that's how you run away from home i ran away from home i think twice i seriously ran away from home See, but i went back when it got dark your family should have had a family psychologist i wouldn't have gone to it because wow. one thing I've definitely learned about myself is you cannot tell me what to do. I get so, so fucking arsy. I mean, I think everyone does, but I get particularly arsy. I think, I think the reason my parents had one is that they couldn't really communicate with Jeffrey. So they needed like a third party, like a mediator. And so that's what Dr. Cowles was. It's like old Jewish psychotherapist that we had to go to for uh, family therapy, you know, we would go there, mostly it was my parents with Jeffrey, but occasionally he'd make me and Stephanie come in because he wanted to talk to us, talk about the family dynamic and all that. Um, this was when we were in South Africa. So God, I must have been like eight, maybe nine. And Jeffrey would was have been- fat? Jeffrey would have been like, or Stephanie would have been seven. Jeffrey would probably would have been like 11 or 12. Was Jeffrey fat? No, it was Cowles fat because Cowles is a fat person name. Dr. Cowles sounds fat. I think he was, I, he wasn't a fat man, but he was definitely like a dad bod. I remember he had a dark, black, bushy beard. And he wore glasses. And he was. Is he Fraser Crane hot or is he just not hot? You know, I, I can't really determine the, the attractiveness of, <laughs> of the family psychiatrist that we had. Um, I don't know. I don't, he didn't look like Fraser Crane. I think he just kind of looked like right, an he's old not dad. Hot then. Yeah, it looked like an old dad with a with a beard, and he was like very soft spoken. So I remember when we used to we used to come in there, um, Doctor Cal's like would take me and Stephanie away just to chat with us, so we could get like you know a real one on one like, time. Yeah, well, well, I think he wanted mm -hmm. like an opinion that was unbiased and uninfluenced by like my parents or Jeffrey. So I remember Doctor Cal's in his like soft spoken way, he'd be like, "Do you enjoy making Jeffrey angry?" And I was just like, yeah. Yeah. And he was just like, why do you enjoy it? And I was like, because it's funny. And, and he's like, do you realize how upset he gets? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I must have been like eight or nine. And then he asked my sister. And my sister's just like, what he said. Like, she was just like, and so then Jeffrey, you know, would be like, you know, Jeffrey would be really upset because he's just like, this is why. This is why I run away from home because of them. And I'm like, you know. You'd think as I've gotten older, I'd stop making fun of Jeffrey, but it's so much fun to make Jeffrey angry. As a, I would love to see views. Jeffrey try and run anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he's not running from anyone or anything these days. Yeah, I don't think he's going to. You know, even when we moved to uh, South Africa, my parents had another family therapist. I can't remember that guy's name. I can't remember the guy's name. But Jeffrey like came out in front of that guy, my parents, because he couldn't just like tell my parents about it. Granted, it was what, 1990, it was a different world back then, but you know, a different era. But I remember he, he, my mom was just like, Jeffrey has something to tell us in front of the psychologist. And so me, you know, me and Stephanie were like, wow, I wonder what happened. And he had a girlfriend at the time, so we thought he must She's have knocked beard. up his girlfriend or something. Like we, we thought he got her pregnant or something. And then I remember my friend Kessler was just like, oh dude, he is so gay. He's probably got like 10 dicks in his mouth right now. And I was just like, no, no way, no way. And I was just like in denial. And then sure enough, yeah, he like came back and told my he parents. He had 10 and, dicks in his mouth. <laughs> and my, and my mom was, was just crying. 
And I think I've said this on the show. Like she's like, oh, my he's handsome my son. He's not going to have any children. Oh. From the handsome son. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey is the handsome one in the family. And the, and, uh, the rabbi, it was as if nothing happened. Like the rabbis just went back upstairs, you know, studying the Torah portion. So anyway, you know, I think it was good for, for my family, you know, to have a, a family therapist or a psychotherapist to, to help through issues. But it hardly compares, like the experience my family had with their family psycho, psychotherapist hardly compares to the experience our guest from episode 900, Kate's best friend and proud dolphin shagger, Malcolm Brenner, had experienced with his brother. Um, they had a family Malcolm. psychotherapist uh, named, who practiced the teachings of Dr. Wilhelm Reich. Um, and he wrote about his, these experiences in his memoir that he recently published called uh, Orgone Box. I think we, we touched on that at the end of the, uh, of the interview in episode uh, 900. So this week, we're going to chat about Dr. Wilhelm Reich. And that's someone who I've wanted to cover for quite some time. It's, he's a fascinating individual. I mean, this guy, oh, yeah. you know, was this, you know, amazing, prescient thinker in terms of psychology, like up there with Freud, but who descended into just sheer madness. And it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting story, you know, kind of uh, looking at what he accomplished, his philosophy, and this, what ended up happening to him in the end. It's very tragic. He's a tragic figure, I would say. He is tragic, and I'm totally on Wilhelm's side. I am a fan of Willie. I would say about I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I appreciate where he's coming from on it, and uh, we'll get into that. But Wilhelm Reich and his Orgone Institute, um, through through this, he believed he could free humanity from a worldwide emotional plague by harnessing the power of sexual orgasm, which he which he would use his uh, his Orgone sex boxes to capture the power of Orgone energy. Um, I mean, he was a renegade, especially at the time. And yeah, I'd say one of the stranger and more prescient thinkers of the, of the last century. Um, but before we get into all that, let's chat about something a bit more satisfying than an orgasm. The sick and wrong patrons. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I think most of our patrons would agree. They'd rather listen to us and the uh, second show and the overkill episodes and all the other miscellaneous things that we do on the Patreon then jerk off, you know? I mean, well, didn't Buffalo Bill used to jerk off while you and Wackerly were talking? Most, mostly because of Wackerly's soothing, dulcet tones, not, not my voice. Uh, my yeah. voice killed his boner. Um, so you can sign up to the patron and you can jerk off while listening to it. <laughs> well, the archives are there, so you can still listen to Wackerly's soothing voice. I bet Aww, you Harrison yeah. has a more soothing voice. He's got more of a baritone. But Harrison say. doesn't have the inner confidence, I feel, whereas Wackerly knows who he is, and that's what makes him a strong, dignified, independent black woman. So is that kind of what makes Buffalo Bill's penis erect? Just the fact that... Yes, definitely. <laughs> Wackerly's a strong, independent black woman? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, we digress. If you like what we do here in the show, if you like what we've been doing for God, over 900 episodes now, uh, we just ask you to sign up for the patron and uh, support the show. It's only a few bucks a month. $5 a month to get access to Sick and Wrong's second show. And this week, um, you'll get to hear all the sordid details about my uh, holiday in New York City. Got to hang with JoJo Kelly, hung with multi-twat man from the Discord. 
Uh, we got some White House cocaine, hit some weird Brooklyn strip bars. I'm joking about the White House cocaine. It's <laughs> topical. I had to throw that in. But I guarantee there will be a brand of blow coming out called White House if there isn't already. Yeah, it feels like it should have been a, a pill in like a, a, an ecstasy pill in like the early 2000s to rival a Mitzi Turbo. You could have had your White House. I guarantee, you know, there's, I'm sure the cartel is already selling White House blow. And it's got a little picture of the White House on the baggie. I oh, you got to love the cartel. They're oh, always yeah. up on it. And they know how to keep things fresh and interesting and new. I, you know, if there was White House cocaine and if I could have got some in Brooklyn, I probably would have. But uh, that didn't happen. So we just got really drunk. But we did hit some really weird Brooklyn bars. And I achieved a bucket list item this past visit. I got to go to uh, the, Hasidic, the Hasidic Taxidermy Museum, Torah Animal World. I've been wanting to go there for like 20 years. So I actually got to make it this time. So you get to hear all about that on the second show. And an update on what's going on with Kate's visa. Uh, good news on yeah. that front. Uh, that's only five bucks a month. You get access to Sigmarong Patron, and you get uh, access to the official uh, Sigmarong Discord, which is a uh, community of enfant terribles on there, I would say. <laughs> Throw out a French word. Uh, we also have Second Show available on Apple Podcasts. So uh, if you don't want to use Patron, you can just go and subscribe uh, via your, your Apple Podcast app. A couple different ways to support the show. And for a few dollars more... Only 10 bucks a month, uh, you get access to some bonus things like Sick and Wrong Overkill. This week, actually, Serial Killer Star Signs, uh, the Cancer Edition is coming out. That's actually at the uh, the regular $5 tier. Um, but we do put yeah, a lot so of extra a content bit. out. Yeah, so it's a little bit late, everyone. I have not had the mojo, but I'm into it now. I'm back. I'm back. I'm here for it. It's back on the horse. Um, but for a few All dollars right. more, you get access to uh, Serial Killer Star Signs. As well as uh, the Sick and Wrong archives. First 10 years available on SoundCloud playlists. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. We do appreciate your support. Um, let me play this quick promo and then let's chat about the mad Dr. Wilhelm Reich and the power of the human orgasm. Do you need more Sick and Wrong in your life? Do you need one more news story to make you feel normal? Are three phone calls barely enough to feed the raging beast of desire? Well, then it's time for you to get the help you need and become a Sick and Wrong patron. Sign up at patreon.com slash sickandwrong and you'll have access to exclusive Patreon-only content such as news stories, extra phone calls, and much, much more. Become a patron today and help us make a better Sick and Wrong for tomorrow. That's patreon.com slash sick and wrong. So for those listeners who have ears like dolphins, and when I wrote that, I then spiraled. I went into a, go a Google wormhole because, yes, dolphins do have ears. They have ears? And they're like, they, they have ears and they have like supersonic hearing. That's weird. I never knew that. They have like little owls. I bet Malcolm, my bestie Malcolm, knows where a dolphin's ears are. And I bet she's things. done things to dolphin's ears. He whispered sweet <laughs> nothings into Dolly's ears. Sure. So yeah, we were chatting with a new bestie, Malcolm J. Brenner, in episode 900, My New Bestie. Uh, 98 episodes to go, D. Are you excited? Very so he talked about, about the that. influence of William Reich and the Argon accumulator because his family used it. His family had one. 
Yeah, and his brother still has one. So we might get his brother on the patron to talk about being an being an orgonist, if you will, soon. <laughs> so we're going to do a two-part series into the weirdest of Freud's underlings. Although all of Freud's underlings are pretty mad. Freud was mad himself. So we're going to start at the beginning, which is usually the most sensible place to start. Not that Freud would endorse that. And then we're going to stop off at the Orgon Zone, where we'll meet one of my favorite writers and past subjects to this show. And we're going to end with the bizarre end of Dr. Wilhelm Reich, who has largely been forgotten by history. He's been immortalized by several writers. And in the 1970s, everyone at a Hampstead cocktail party would have heard of him, as claimed by his biographer, Christopher Turner. You know, it is weird, though. A lot of people, a lot of people don't even know who he is. Because I've mentioned Wilhelm Reich. Everyone knows who Freud is. But I think uh, Wilhelm Reich has been kind of discarded throughout history, throughout over the generations. But I mean, I he was a very a influential figure in psychoanalysis. I think, the, I think the reason he has been forgotten throughout history it has a lot to do with your country. But we're going to get into that. Wouldn't be surprised. Get in the organ machine, D. To the organ machine. You're going to strap yourself in. We're going to get going. Although you may not know the man or the name, you might know the song Birdland by Patti Smith. Pretty crappy Patti Smith song, in my opinion. Or Kate Bush's Cloud Busting, which is about him as well. He also appeared in the works of Kerouac, Saul Bellow, Norman Mailer. Obviously, Mailer was fascinated by the Spicy Reich. Spicy Reich coined the term the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. But before his glory came a childhood born into a wealthy family in what is now the Ukraine, but back then, we can't mention the wars, was Austria-Hungary. Uh, Austria the Austria-Hungary wars is coming. Baby Willie was born on 24th of March, 1897, in Dobzaya, Galicia, <laughs> wherever the fuck that was, which was then part of Austria-Hungary, uh, Hungary, now it's the Ukraine, making him an Aries, which makes a lot of sense. Four days after his birth, Willie lost part of his willy when the bloodthirsty boil strolled in and took what God wanted. What is it your, the rabbi used to say? It's a, it's, covenant. A, it's a covenant. Covenant with God. It's a covenant with God. So even though both parents are Jewish, they decided to not burden their child with such woes and Willie and his siblings weren't raised as Jews. So they took his dick, but you're not going to be Jewish. That well, I think a lot good. of people were getting circumcised at that time but yeah i think jews you and you, who knows maybe at the time they wanted to you know we're part of a jewish community but then they're like no we're not going to raise them jewish so they change their minds but i think Thank it was you. very customary um for jewish children to get circumcised then as it is now he had a younger sister she was born one year later and i do use the past tense of had because she died in infancy. He had a younger brother named Robert, and they were both brought up speaking German, and their father, who was very strict, a very jealous man, he would pu punish them if he heard them speaking Yiddish or even playing with the yo local Yiddish-speaking kids, which I kind of get, because this is like a wealthy family, and is like Yiddish is kind of like the, the talk of the streets, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think of it as like a formal language, but it was definitely a colloquial language at the time. But his dad, I think, just sounds like a like a self-hating Jew. Oh, we're going to get into his dad, yeah. Leon. So Willie was taught at home during his early years, which actually wasn't uncommon for the time, especially for those who were very well-to-do, like the Reichs were. Well, that's the thing. The uh, it was uh, the the father was older, very authoritarian, as we're about to get into, and the young mother was beautiful, um, and uh, they 
were kind of a, like a fashionable, uh, hardly observant Jewish couple, but they managed a family estate of some 2,000 acres. So they're definitely well-to-do. I've always wanted to know this, and I don't, I don't want a man to write in because it'll just be like a farming man and he'll use the wrong tone with me. But like, how big is an acre? Like, what is 2,000 acres? Like, how many, feel, how many buyers is that? I don't know what a buyer is. What's a buyer? Is that a buyer kind of is Cum- <laughs> a buyer is Cumbrian for field. Like a farmer in Cumbria would be like, over there, on to buyer. Um, I mean, I, I just looked it up. An acre is about 43,000 square feet. So it's pretty sizable. How, I mean, look at my, my apartment, for example, is like 1,000 square feet. So it's 45 oh, so it's like 40... times my apartment. Oh, right. So it's like 40 of your apartments. And that's yeah. what? How many, that's how one. many acres? That's one acre. One acre. Shit. All right. That's huge. Then. Yeah. So he had a lot of land. I like to do things by like how big sharks are. So like if a great white is 16 meters, I can understand that. So like how many 16 meter great whites would fit into 2,000 acres? A lot, right? Like 80,000? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I think uh, thinking about this, you've been in my apartment and the size of the square footage of my apartment would probably be easier and an easier form of measurement than a 16 meter great white. So I'm not quite sure. I think two great whites could fit inside your apartment, like tail, tail to snout. Well, no, snout I think my apartment's bigger than a great white. Nah, especially with the bedroom. I think two. I think from I the think two. From that's the what I mean. The... Two two sharks laid out tail to snout is the size of your apartment. That would be like 40 feet. There. Well, I guess there if there's 20 foot great white. Yeah, they get big, don't they? They do. I mean, yeah, I guess if it was a a large great white, two large great whites from mouth to tail laid out would be the length of my apartment, but not the entire square footage. No, but it's the length. So then it would be like 80,000 sharks laid out is 2,000 acres. This makes absolutely zero sense. It means nothing. I can visualize it. It makes sense to me. It's nonsense. Just think about the square footage of an apartment. I don't, that makes I can't, sense. I can't comprehend those numbers. I can only think in terms of sharks. I can just imagine. And I can comprehend is, a shark. This is why I could never teach special education. <laughs> and this is why I could, because me and the kids would relate to each other. Okay. <laughs> On his parents' teachings, he said, at age six, I began to learn the primary school subjects. Mother and father took turns teaching me reading, writing, and arithmetic. And it was at this point that I felt the full extent of my father's strictness. Oh, I relate to you, Willie. For the slightest mistake or lapse of attention, he struck me, made me eat in the kitchen or stand in the corner. My mother always protected me from his blows by standing between us. And I finally begged that only she give me instruction. She promised on the condition that I really apply myself. And that I did. So he's going to become scholarly. Willie was also led through life by his Willie because he claimed at the age of 11 he had already shagged the family cook and by 15 he had begun to visit brothels, which I think probably wasn't unusual for those days. I mean, you would get it in early at the brothels, wouldn't you? Especially uh, in in that area of the world. I think brothels were a little more normalized in in Europe and Germany and Austria. Um, But uh, he was very precocious. Even more so than just his studies. Uh, yeah, he had been having you know visits to brothels, but he had also been having uh, sexual intercourse with the family's chambermaid. And he said that was around the age of 12. So, yeah, he was getting it on by the age of 12. So, you know, the fact that he knows, you know, he ended up 
studying the science of the orgasm. Kind of makes sense. Got some experience there. I can imagine that one day the chambermaid was like emptying out his bed pot or something and she bent over in her like, like you know, chambermaid skirt, but she had on pantaloons and when he saw them, he just got a total stiffy. He's like, oh my God, your pantaloons. A fetish was born. So another stick your pin in the childhood trauma donkey was when, when he discovered his mother. So his mother had, there's lots of different sources for what his mother's name is. Some of them are egg. Eglilia, Eglilia, Cecilia, Sassiel. We're going to call her Cece because it's really easy for me to remember and it's easy for me to say. Yeah, I can't even say just, the, the Eglia name. I don't even know what that name that is. It's it, weird. Eglia. I think it's got something kind of to do with the Nazis, but we'll just uh, step aside that for a second. He caught her having an affair with his living tutor when he was 12. So a lot happened to him when he was 12. Well, that's the a thing. Trauma. It was around the same time he discovered sex, another determining event of his life occurred. You know, he was an adolescent and he was listening outside the bedroom door over a period of several months when his tutor and his mother engaged in sexual intercourse. So he was just listening to them having sex. Had to affect the psyche of a young boy. But anyone would though, wouldn't you? I mean, we all would. I would have been curious. I don't, yeah, I definitely would have been curious. You know, I never actually caught my parents having sex. I don't think they ever did. Uh, my parents slept in separate rooms after the uh, forever. So I think it would have been a miracle <laughs> if they'd have ever had sex. But I do recall being at friends' houses and hearing their parents having sex. I don't think that ever happened to me either. I am an innocent person. I think I've probably been like, oh, he's just helping her. Like they're having, she's having like a fit and he's just helping her. I remember being at a, a childhood friend of mine. I'm going to leave the name. I'm just going to leave him unnamed. But we were at his house, like I was probably like maybe eighth grade or something, and just heard this like, I would say screaming and just smacking, smacking, oh. smacking. And I was just, I was kind of like, what the fuck is that? Like, what's going on? And uh, my friend was just like, oh, yeah, my parents are fucking. Like, just totally was just like, yeah, my parents are fucking. Just nonchalant, like didn't even occur. And I was just like, wow, that must happen every day. He's like, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. I was just like, what? that's fucking bizarre. Like, I wouldn't even... Your parents are horn dogs, man. Yeah. <laughs> In 1920, he actually released his first scholarly paper titled About Case of Breaching the Incest Taboo. And he wrote that he saw his mother sneaking into the tutor's bedroom at night and wondered what he should do about the situation. And that included telling his father or even making her have sex with himself as a kind of revenge. This is like, you know, weirdly edible. Yeah, no wonder he uh, followed Freud later. But, you know, Reich had remembered that his father had several times called his mother a whore. (gasps) And so he was in this weird kind of moral quandary, you know, like caught between erotic, you know, eroticism. He's obviously has some kind of attraction to his mother, anger and inadequacy because he didn't know what to do. So I'm sure he kind of wrestled with, should I tell my father, even though my dad's a dick, should I snitch out my mother to him because this is wrong? You know? He did end up telling his horrible father, Leon, but it was only after Leon, who was already suspicious, threatened to beat the answer out of him. And Leo was angry, obviously, but Leo's also not a nice person. And after a series of physical beatings, as well as emotional torment, which had never ended during their marriage, CC committed suicide on October the 1st, 1910. 
Willie said, mother had poisoned herself while father was away. It was impossible to discover what she had taken. When father arrived home on Monday, mother was lying in bed and asked him to forgive her. At approximately two o'clock, mother called for us. Oh, how beautiful she was as she lay there. Just as she looked on her wedding day, father said later. We kissed her left hand as she held her right hand to her chest. She shed silent tears. The last we saw was that she tried to raise her right hand to her mouth to wipe away some saliva. Her hand came to a halt just below her chin. Mother was dead. Bless him. Willie actually blamed himself for her death and as a reaction to his own emotional turmoil, he broke out in psoriasis, which like is obviously a burden. I actually dated somebody with psoriasis and it's it's a lifetime burden. You can't you're never getting rid of it. Yeah, very difficult to control. Karma will get her revenge, though, when she claims Leon for Lady Death after he drowned in his own sputum when TB took him to his grave on March the 3rd, 1914. So fuck you, Leon. I don't know if I read this in Christopher Turner's biography or the other guy, Myron Shafar, also wrote a biography. But I read a clip where Leon supposedly had taken a very large life insurance policy out on himself. And then he committed indirect suicide by deliberately contracting pneumonia, which led ah. to tuberculosis. And he did this through prolonged exposure of standing in a lake on the farm, like in the winter. He would just stand in the lake so he could make himself sick. It's not like you would know because, I mean, there's, you know, this farm is 80,000 sharks big. So you wouldn't even know that dad's down in the pond making himself sick. Yeah, you'd have no idea. But obviously he must have been riddled with guilt about what happened to his, uh, to his wife. I don't think so. Now, Reich was left with what one of uh, his German psychoanalyst colleagues, Eric Erickson, called an account to be settled, an existential debt for the rest of his life. And that's pretty much what happened. I mean, I think he was, you know, you could say, obviously, he had like a, somewhat of an edible complex, but he was also driven by guilt, towering guilt, for what happened in his life and what he felt he had caused. Um, I read that even into his 30s, Reich would sometimes wake in the night overwhelmed by the thought that he had killed his mother. So, I mean, you got to say, I don't think it's, you know, you're, you're, it's hyperbole to say that uh, the horrors his mother underwent drove his work as a sexual liberationist, you know, opening his eyes to the consequences of patriarchal models of ownership, as well as, uh, you know, restrictive attitudes towards sex, had to have influenced him and his future philosophy. Oh, had to. I kind of this kind of reminds me of just to turn the story to the king. This kind of reminds me of Elvis, who always felt that guilt throughout his whole life that he had survived and Garen didn't, and it was like yeah, his driving brother. force. But it was also what nearly killed him too all the time. The Some people can never, that. you know, never move beyond it. And I think, I think the thing is what uh, what Wilhelm did is he kind of used this as motivation, like sublimated that those feelings into his into his work. Even though the family had been very well off because of the war, things had now changed and Willie and his brother, they had to make ends meet themselves. Willie managed the family farm and he continued on with his studies. He's going to graduate in 1915, just as the Russians are invading. This forced them to leave their land, which now became a battlefield and everything that they'd ever known behind. Willie wrote in his diary, back then it's fine for men to have diaries. Nowadays, men can't have diaries. You've got to have a journal or you're a bit fagler. You've got to have a journal. Women have diaries. 
He said, I never saw my homeland or my possessions again of a well-to-do past. Nothing was left. He actually joined up in the army and by 1916 he was serving as a lieutenant in the Ita- Italian front where he had about 60 men under his command. So, you know, he's not dumb. Yeah. Like just within a year, he's risen through the ranks. Lieutenant. When the war ended in 1918, he moved to Vienna to study law at the University of Vienna. But by his second year, he had switched to medicine. And from here, the die is cast. So psychiatry and analysis was the new in thing at the time. And he became a member of the Vienna Psychoanalytical Society, which in turn led to him meeting Sigmund Freud the next year. So... Freud had been famous for a while by this point. In 1909, he went outside of Vienna and he made a presentation of his theories at Clark University in Massachusetts. But we're just going to get into like a little of the theories and the core beliefs of Freud. Just, yeah. you know, we're going to rehash. I mean, you'd have to take a like a three-month course in college to go for... <laughs> I did. <laughs> the, uh, it's my yeah, degree. Yeah, the theories of, of, uh, of Freud. No, I've, I studied Freud in college as well. So in simple terms, for the simps amongst us, me, one of them, Freud's theory is that human behavior is influenced by our unconscious. So we've got our memories, thoughts, and urges, which are all controlled by the free aspects of our psyche. So we have the id, which is the primitive part of your mind that contains your sexual and aggressive drives and all your hidden memories. You have your ego, which is the realistic part part of our mind that works in balance between the id and the superego and then you have the superego and that's where our morality and moral consciousness lies and all these three things are all at odds with each other all the fucking time his other theories are that life is a basic struggle between sex and death your sexuality develops in childhood your motivations and drive comes from your deep unconscious you want to have sex with your mother or your father although men want to fuck their mothers more Cocaine is one hell of a drug and it can cure you a lot of of all your mental problems. And he really pushed that talk therapy is the best type of therapy. He like, like, you know, basically the couch became invented because of Freud. It's like the Cliff Notes version of uh, Freud's teachings. Thank you. (laughs) I think I did well there. That's a good summary, yeah. By the 1920s, anyone who was everyone was seeing a shrink uh, to have their brain shrunk on a regular basis to varying degrees. And Willie is a very willing convert to his way of thinking too. He said, perhaps morality speaks against it, but my own experiences, my observations of myself and others has led me to the conviction that sexuality is the core around which social life as well as the inner spiritual life of the individual revolves whether the relationship to that car be direct or indirect. I do not make such claims under the influence of Freud's writings. I offer the fact that I was already conscious of these things long before I began to study this science. For example, I recall that during my childhood, conscious sexuality was awakened within me at the age of four through contact with the maids. He fucking loved his maids. This guy was already horny at the age of four. I wonder how many maids did he have? He he must have. I don't know. He definitely had the the uh, the the French maid outfit fetish, guaranteed. Don't we all though? Yeah, but it's not my thing. You know, I'm not like I don't I don't have I don't go out and buy a French maid outfit for every lover that I have. But if she did have one, I'd ask her to put it on at least once. Let's see, and he's also got Ukrainian maids. Oh, yeah. These aren't like, you know, books and Bavarian maids. These are like hot Ukrainian maids who are like, would you like some bitty? 
He's like, fuck yeah, I want some pee. Yeah, I don't know I what mean, it is, but I know I want it. But yeah, he's he's got his chambermaids. He's also very vocal about being a socialist at this time, which was a very fashionable thing to do. But he is actually never going to become a full card-carrying member of the Communist Party or the Social Democratic Party. But he will have his dalliances with them. In 1920, he began treating patients, including a 19-year-old kindergarten teacher named Laurie Kahn. Freud predicted that there would be erotic transference, which is the, one of the reasons I should probably never see a psychiatrist. Because if it was Fraser Crane, I'd be like, I love you. <laughs> this is it. Because you, you project onto them. And it's recommended that during treatment, all doctors actually must practice abstinence. Not that Freud did, or Carl Jung, or Ernest Jones, or a lot of the other Freud acolytes. They were all shagging about. Yeah, I was about to say, but what Reich the hell? actually did. Practice abstinence. Yeah. Yeah, right. None of those guys. You know how much cocaine those guys were doing? Fucking lot of White it. House that was cocaine good cocaine too. back then. Yeah, it's probably as good as the White House cocaine. Right. Reich actually did practice abstinence, you know, in the beginning. He is a good boy until uh, Law was declared cured. And then they started banging. I'm sure she showed up for her session wearing a French maid outfit. And he's like, you're cured. You're, my work is done here. Let's go on to round two. Is that latex? <laughs> Please bend over in front of me, bitty. <laughs> Willie was still somewhat of a radical, and even though he loved her, he totally rejected the idea of marriage or moving in together. And Law like struggled on her own. She moved into a room at a friend's house, and whereas she was once a really happy, bubbly person, after her treatment ended and Willie wouldn't live with her, she became really fucking miserable. Don't be a simp, Willie. Well, don't don't fall for it. <laughs> Add to that that the room she was in was heated and it was bitterly cold. It's a recipe for disaster coming. She ran a fever, she became super ill, and she died within eight days of sepsis before she was even 20. Oh. Her parents found a pair of bloodied underwear in her cupboard. I bet they were pantaloons. Her parents found a pair of bloodied pantaloons in her cupboard and immediately they blamed Willie, saying that he had performed a botched illegal abortion that had killed their daughter. What? Why point yeah, the finger at him? He's a, yeah, but he's a psychoanalyst, not an abortionist. That's where they went. Her daughter's death grieved her so that Mrs. Khan, she actually committed suicide shortly afterwards. There's a lot of just like suicides back then. Like life was so miserable. Let's just kill ourselves. Yeah, but it seems like all these suicides are somewhat connected. Revolving. To uh, <laughs> Wilhelm Reich. So I don't know. <laughs> Something about this guy's personality makes me want to off myself. Willie wrote, there is no way to avoid the feeling that I am the murderer of an entire family. For the fact remains that if I had not entered that household, both of them would still be alive. And this was on my mind. I continue my life more lectures, analysis and concerts. Later on, he would admit to a friend that Law had died as a result of a botched abortion, but he didn't say that he had performed it. Yeah, but I mean, but, but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people having uh, illegal abortions or you know, dying from a, not, you know, a back alley abortions basically at that time, even in Europe. But, you know, he must have felt overwhelming guilt. But this is, you know, he firsthand, you know, experienced firsthand the uh, consequences of having sex outside marriage. I mean, so what can happen? At least he didn't get the SIF. Yeah, he didn't get the SIF, that's true. Didn't get the Ghanis. 
His next client was 18-year-old Annie. She's a virgin who had never been kissed. Willie used to fantasize about her live body. And before long, he had convinced her to start seeing another analyst so that he could pursue an affair with her. He says, When I visited her in the evenings with her parents, I left late and I went to a nearby cafe and I waited until I thought her parents were asleep. Then I crept silently to her like a criminal and she awaited me like a criminal as well. So it went on for weeks. One night I lay with her and we heard a noise as if someone was standing outside the door. Then the door opened quietly, very quietly, and a head appeared through the crack, looked for a long time and then went away. It was Malva, her stepmother. We were worried, but at the same time, it amused us. This has happened to all of us. This is a rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah. Having been discovered, Annie's parents forced Willie to marry her, but Annie kind of also agreed with Willie that marriage was unnecessary. She is a rebel too. And she began her own medical training at the university after they had what they both said was a sham marriage on 17th of March, 1922. In 1924, after he graduated and worked in a Marxist clinic with other Freud disciples for a few years, he became director of the Seminar for Psychoanalytic Therapy. You know, I was reading, I think this is from uh, Myron Sheriff's uh, biography on uh, on his uh, teacher, Wilhelm Reich. So Myron Sheriff was a student in the U.S. under Wilhelm. But he mentioned that, oh, uh, that Wilhelm, Willie, studied more data than most of his colleagues in the Vienna Clinic. And uh, he increasingly noticed after, you know, after studying all these patients that they were armored he noticed that uh, they bound up in muscular tension or moving, uh, similar to like an automaton. And as he listened to them speak, he kept looking at their bodies and seeing how guarded and rigid they were on the couch. So what if they're communicating information physically? They can't really be said in words. So that led him to think that maybe the past wasn't just housed in the memory, as Freud believed, but stowed away in the body too. So what Reich was seeing was not a hysterical symptom to be decoded, but rather a kind of clenching and clamping that pervaded the person's entire being. It was almost like a suit of armor. And uh, he thought it was a defense against feeling, especially anxiety, rage, and sexual excitement. So if an experience was too painful or distressing, if the emotional expression was forbidden, or it was a prohibited sexual desire, then the only alternative was to really tense up and lock it away and just basically put on your suit of armor. And so the process created a permanent physical shield around the vulnerable self, protecting it from pain at the cost of numbing it to pleasure. So with this this theory, he began to work with his patients' bodies. So first he would verbally, first verbally talking through them, like having, um, you know, sessions, and then by actually touching them which is an act completely prohibited in psychoanalysis. Like, I don't think Freud, unless he was having sex with one of his patients, I don't think Freud was actually, like, was actually touching them or working on areas of tension, like making contact, like physical contact. But yeah. Reich kind of broke that unspoken rule there. And to his amazement, he found that when he worked on regions of tension, like the various areas, you know, um, the habitual expressions of fright or the clenched fists or the rigid bellies, the feelings lodged there would be brought to the surface and released. And uh, many patients remembered, like, you know, recovered, like memories that they had repressed, like incidents of shaming 
or a bodily invasion or experienced fury or despair that they were unable to even feel at that time because they just shut, they shut it down. Um, so this emotional release was often accompanied by a pleasurable rippling feeling, which Reich called streaming. Is that the streaming of his cock into your pussy after he said, Vi, I feel that there is a bit of tension in your pantaloons. This is, is the only way my therapy works. Um, <laughs> Why is he Indian? It's, you know, that's what, that's what happens when you're doing therapy. Um, when his you mentally streaming, Ill, you become Indian. In his theory, his mentally ill needed direct and effective genital gratification. And in his most significant book, Character Analysis, which was written in 1929, he linked the analysis of patients and descriptions of their characterological features to a therapy whose explicit goal, and this should be the name of an album, was orgastic potency or the unimpeded expression of genitality. The new album by Tool. (laughs) Buy it at all Target stores. Orgastic potency or the unimpeded expression of genitality. It's a great, it's like a butthole surfers record. I really love that band. They played at the last Coachella, didn't they? <laughs> of course it was going to come in. It's kind of like a Victorian though. Remember like you, the Victorian doctors and all their dildos and you would go there and be like, doctor, I have a tension headache and he would wank you off and you'd be like, that was great. I'll be going back in a week. It's kind of like just leading on from that, isn't it? Really? Did they think that, that women are kind of insane and by giving them, you know, that, that kind of stimulation at, it helps promote their the... mental well-being. Yeah, exactly. So I can kind of see it. As well as visiting his patients in their own homes, he had a mobile clinic that he would take throughout the streets of Red Vienna at the time, where he would promote adolescent sexuality, the use of contraception, and the right to abortions and divorce. Like he's fucking radical when you think for this time. Nobody else is saying Man. all this. Freud is like breaking down some doors to perception. But Vienna was a kind of radical city at the time. It's run by socialists that are going to one day morph into the National Socialist German Workers' Party. One day, but not quite yet. But at the time, run by socialists. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. And that's the thing. Freud's ideas were considered scandalous at the time. You know? So Reich lived and worked in Europe during a period where even the mention of these, these ideas was considered scandalous. Um, or rebellious. And even uh, the most common form of birth control at that time was, was the pull-out method. I don't think people were wearing condoms. There was no pill. That's true. So yeah, I think that's yeah, why... Yeah, just sheepskin you know, condoms. But that's why, yeah, well, that's why he was a bit of a renegade when he was, like, promoting contraception, you know, and abortion. And he gave birth to their first child, a daughter called Eva, in April of 1924. And Annie's very wealthy family provided them with a large apartment. And it's here where Willie put down his ideas into an essay titled The Impulsive Character, a Psychoanalytical Study of the Pathology of the Self. In this uh, wordy essay, he dissects the nuclear family and brings up the cause for the use of castration and any Oedipal anxieties that will occur. He's off on one. Freud actually dug what Willie was planting and he arranged for him to become part of the executive committee of the Vienna Psychoanalytic Society, despite the objections of many other members, including Paul Ferdin, the vice president, who declared to Freud that Willie was a psychopath. <laughs> I think uh, Paul knows Willie better than he knew himself, but <laughs> despite the high regard from King Freud Some himself. accurate foresight there. He does. Willie didn't particularly actually like being 
lacking in the society. He found them all really old, stuffy, and conservative, and he stated that he felt like he was in a shark in a pond of carps. I like Willie. I like his moxie. I think it would have been boring too. I think it would have been a lot of tea drinking. And I think Willie wanted to be like, can we go to the cafe and have some wine? And I'm going to stand on a soapbox and tell everyone that they should get an abortion. Can we? Can we? Right, not sure. It's like these stuffy intellectuals, you know, these these academic types. Whereas, uh, you know, Willie was hands-on, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Willie was handsy. (laughs) Don't mention pantaloons around Willie. You'll see what I mean. When he was once the student, he was now breaking away from the old ideals and ideas. In 1927, uh, he published his magnum opus, The Function of the Orgasm, which goes against what Freud was claiming, that repression is an inherent part of the human condition. Willie regarded himself as a sexual evangelist, with a belief that a satisfactory orgasm made the difference between sickness and health. A quote from Willie was, There's only one thing wrong with neurotic patients. It's the lack of full and repeated sexual satisfaction. You know, people thought that uh, that Freud was a pervert. Wilhelm Reich is like 10 times worse. I kind of dig what he's saying, though. It's like you do feel happier when you have a constant cum. Like, you know, if you're having... Because when you get depressed, what's the first thing that goes away? It's your sexual appetite, isn't it? But I think or- you- having an orgasm releases tension. I, I mean, I think that's, you know, part of the thing is people are so uptight. You're they neurotic. were uptight back then. Yeah. Also, I also think it had a lot to do with how much underwear all these people were wearing. He wore a lot of underwear back then. He gave a copy of his book to Freud, and Freud dismissed it, saying, Oh, this fic? Ugh. And this would be the beginning of the end for the idol worship. Later on, when Freud developed the terminal mouth cancer that would lead to his assisted suicide death, Willie claimed it was because Freud was sexually frustrated and he should have had more orgasms, which actually is kind of a good point because if Freud had smoked, he'd smoked 30 cigars a day, right? At the least. So maybe if he just smoked two less and had two wanks, it might have extended his life a little. So I'm kind of with Team Wanking Willie on this one. Oh, men, stop what you're doing right now and have a wank. It's for your health. Yeah. <laughs> Cures what Even if you're you in know. traffic. Ah, it makes <laughs> sense. Um, as Sigmund Freud aged and got older, he believed that too great a sexual liberalization would lead to social chaos which is kind of a contrast from where he was, you know, when he was in his younger years. He thought that considerable frustration of the sexual impulse was necessary for civilization. Now, this is definitely at odds with Wilhelm. Um, Reich had always been intensely interested in sex, and he wondered whether the energy he'd unleashed was the same thing that Freud termed the libido. At the time, Freud taught that all symptoms sprang from disturbances in sexuality, a premise Reich's patients certainly bore out, obviously, with the way they were like rigid and guarded. Um, if undischarged sexual energy caused neurosis, might it follow that the discharge of sexual energy would be a healing force then? Yeah. Makes sense? So Reich suspected the orgasm was the body's own innate way of releasing tension, dissolving the rigid armor of trauma and happiness in a rush of fluid, libidinous energy. So Reich was directly challenging Freud. And Freud's attitude towards his student changed from tolerance to eventually distance. So in a way, Freud was like, you know what? He's becoming 
more radical than I am. But maybe Freud was becoming more mature and more conservative, whereas Reich was a renegade. So in a sense, you can say, you know, when Reich kind of lost his substitute father here. You know, because I mean, he definitely looked up and was very inspired uh, to, to Freud. So this was another major turning point in his life. So when he left Vienna for Berlin in 1930, he began the life of rejection that would be his condition all the way till death. And I know we're going to get into that with part two, but it was a major turning point for him when Freud turned his back. I kind of feel bad for him because I was very lucky, like in in my degree, I basically chose to stay here at the university because I really like had such a good relationship with like uh, the guy who was going to be teaching me. And I couldn't imagine like if he'd have turned around at the end of when he'd been teaching me and he was like, by the way, Kate, I thought all your writing was terrible. And just like taught me a new one. I would be devastated because he was definitely like Nick was definitely a second father to me and in some ways was a better father, a better teacher. I mean, I imagine Wilhelm must have been devastated by uh, Freud's, Freud's change of attitude, especially distancing oh. himself from him. Yeah, I would have been definitely. Hard not to take that personally. His marriage to Annie was also in bad shape at this time, so they had a second child that they named Law after his dead girlfriend. Wow. <laughs> This weird. failed to save the problems that they were having because it never does save the problems. And by they, I do mean Willie. Willie's having a lot of problems. Annie noted the signs of psychosis he was experiencing and that he was angry, paranoid, and suspicious of her. Willie responded to this by having an affair, and he was very open about it. And he even wrote an essay titled Compulsory Marriage and Enduring Sexual Relationships, which he published in 1930. Obviously autobiographical, one part claiming the unconscious hatred towards the partner to which you are no longer as sexually attracted as you once were can become all the more intense, the kinder and more tolerant the partner is. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, Willie said that, that the traditional marriage could not endure because sexual dulling, dulling, I love that term, was the inevitable result of close physical proximity to one partner. And the simultaneous exposure to new sexual stimuli emanating from others. So I think it's just like, you know, that same old pussy's just not doing it for me anymore. He can't just have the same old pussy. <laughs> he but he also doesn't want to put the work in. Exactly. You know, he predicted that the institution of marriage would eventually be replaced by serial monogamy. So instead of being married for life, and having a contract with one but with one person, you just have these, you know, a series of serial monogamistic relationships with other partners. That kind of is very like that in the modern world, in a way, though. Lesser and less people are getting married, more divorces. So mm, that is true. Nonetheless, she did move with him to Berlin in 1930. Their daughter Law stated that this was her mother's biggest mistake. And I'm going to point out here that Annie wasn't dumb either. She was also a student of Freud and a psychoanalyst in her own right and a female in those days. I mean, there was actually a lot of female students of Freud. You'd be surprised. But I'm just putting it out there. She's not a dumb woman. She was following William to Berlin and she just like she should have divorced him and stayed in Vienna. That probably made a good move. I think it would have been the best move for her. But, I mean, we all make stupid decisions. She's still young. Three years later, Adolf Hitler became chancellor and, as a Jew, a communist, after his years of working for free Marxist clinics in Vienna and his participation in anti-Nazi marches, 
a warrant is called for William's arrest. The Nazis were actually ordered to shoot him on sight and his books were burned. So him and his family, they all went into hiding. And it's actually now that Annie leaves him after a few of his lovers came out to Vienna to find him wanting shelter from the same Nazi party. So good for you, Annie, leaving him at like the worst time. Yeah, but but I can see your point. You know, they're hiding out. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, you shagged her. And then another one shows up and her. And then another one shows up and her too. I never even liked this one. And then another one comes. And next thing you know, it's just all of Willie's hose. In a, in a tiny little room with uh, his wife and, their, and his daughter. I, I can see why the woman would get fed up with this. But Willy, I showed you my pantaloons, please. <laughs> Save me from the Nazis. Willy reacted by writing about the Reich in a great essay about the rise of fascism titled The Mass Psychology of Fascism. I studied this for like a whole uh, term in uni. It's a really good read. And it's a must read for those interested in actually how the Nazis gained power. Not just the Nazis, but now is not the time and the place of the Nazis. But it is funny how they always just like pop up. They're always just here, aren't they? Lurking in the background. Well, it's a, you know, integral part of his history. Obviously changed the trajectory of his life. But yeah, he spent that entire autumn poring over Mein Kampf, and then he started writing The Mass Psychology of Fascism, which is basically an analysis of the Nazis' appeal. Um, In it, he explained how the patriarchal family acted as a unit of indoctrination, training people from childhood to submit to authority. And of course, the Nazis burned it (laughs) alongside all of his other published works. Because they just can't tolerate that kind of uh, free thinking. No, no, they can't. Can they, America? Can they, DeSantis? No, they can't. On the run across Europe, he moved to Denmark. He moved to Malmo in Sweden, and then he settles in Oslo in Norway in October of 1934. It was here where he starts the series of experiments, which he would come to call Bion Experiments. This is for all the scientists listening. His experiments consisted of growing cultured um, vesicles which is essentially a blister not like a blister on a skin but it looks like a blister it's like a small bladder filled with whatever fluid and he would use grass sand iron various animal tissues he would boil them and he would add potassium and gelatin he would heat them to be white hot and apparently at this stage he discovered what he called bions which are a rudimentary form of life not quite alive but not quite dead did he have sex with these bions this is reminding me of what, what, what was that movie Splice with uh, Adrian Brody where he like grew his own creature and then he fucked it. I love Adrian Brody. I had such a crush on him. I love his nose. How have I not seen this film? I don't know. He it was very similar. He put like a bunch of different material into this animal tissue and just kind of made this creature and then he just fucked it. And he fucked it. I want to see this film. I'm I want to sure see Adrian Brody get did. down to fuck. I'm going to watch it. It's Do you kind see of a his terrible dick? movie. Do you what? see his dick? Like, remember how you told oh. me you saw Michael Shannon's dick and you never did? I don't recall. I don't think you did. You must not then. Yeah, I don't think yeah, you saw it. you must it. not. Yeah. When this mixture was cooled and he poured onto growth media to see if life would indeed spring up, well, bacteria formed, which is a form of life in some way in it, and he dismissed the idea that the bacteria come from anywhere else and it had been produced by his beloved bions. Don't think that he had ditched orgasms for organisms because it was in 1936 that he published his most famous work, The Sexual Revolution. 
still banging on that marriage belonged to the moral majority, said marriages could be good, at least for a certain period of time, if there was sexual harmony and gratification. This would, however, presuppose a sex-affirmative education, premarital sexual experience and emancipation from conventional morality. But the very thing that might make for a good marriage means at the same time it's doom. So he's saying you got a shag before you get married, but even just being married is doomed. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, but I think he's also trying to propose, like, maybe open that marriage up a little bit. Be a swinger, you know? It'll make Does it work. Does she have good-looking pantaloons? <laughs> invite her in. Invite, just invite her in the maid to the bedroom. You can do it. He also makes a point that homosexuality is a neurosis to be cured and that a really good orgasm can cure your need for visiting prostitutes. It can cure your need for anal sex. It can cure your need for flashing and other sexual perversions. It can also cure your need for incest and pedophilia. I guess it depends on what is causing that orgasm. Yes. Is it, is it a child? <laughs> yeah. Is it a, is it a small <laughs> hand that belongs to a six-year-old? Because that is she not She had gonna... the tiniest pantaloons. Yeah. Now, that, that is definitely uh, not acceptable there, Wilhelm. <laughs> he began conducting experiments on himself at this point because he's on the hunt for physical evidence of true orgasmic energy. He had purchased, and I will butcher this word, an oscillograph. You know, an oscillograph, you mate. Yeah. That's the machine that makes wavy lines when it detects, uh, like, electrical change. Or it's like a lie detector test. You know, it's like one of those things. Like, and he began trying to record his own libido and the libido of willing volunteers. He would strap it to their nipples and their genitals. So he's a doctor, not a scientist. And he wrote to Annie saying basically that he was an untrained tourist standing at the foot of Mount Everest. While like clamping on, <laughs> while putting those little, uh, uh, those, those little clamp things onto someone's ball sack. <laughs> I, I think he just did it to see ball sacks and nipples personally. He's like, oh yeah, this has to go on your uh, genitals, by the way. And they were like, yeah, sure, it's fine. He's like, yes. Yep. You have to get up <laughs> into those stirrups. You know, the oscillograph needs to go directly onto the taint. Please pull down the pantaloons. <laughs> I just love the word pantaloons. I'm sure he had a massive boner while he was doing it. So Annie and her two daughters that she had with Willie, she had her new husband and she had her other daughter. They'd all immigrated to America, like all very smart women do. All smart women immigrate to America. She'd done this in 1938, and this was the catalyst for Willie's move to the new world. Wait, hold on, hold on one second here. Yes. So Annie... Annie married someone else and the new husband and her daughter with that husband then moved to America with her two daughters she had with Willie and with Willie. No, but I think because Annie and his two daughters were over in America and they obviously kept in touch throughout this whole time. And like, it's still like, you know, the Nazis are on the hunt for you, mate. Like you should probably get the shit out of there. Well, so that, no, that is there. definitely true, but I'm just, I mean, I guess at, at those times, you know, you have to make exceptions with, like, put put your... Oh, are uh, you saying if... No, I'm saying put your primal you feelings like jealousy and, and hatred and things like that to the side because you have bigger threats like Nazism. So that's probably why he's hanging out with her new husband 
and they're moving to America. Well, he's about to be. Yeah. So they're already moved over there, and she's obviously been writing back to Ilya saying, like, it's safe over in America. You're going to have, like, a job. I can hook you up. I'm already working at a university, so is my new husband. Come over. We'll help you get started. So they must he have split wrote... on good terms. More well, I think when you've got kids, you kind of have to. And plus, yeah. I don't think Annie was a very horrible... She's not a horrible person, whereas probably other people would be like have every right to be angry of willie but i think she saw him as a genius a true a genius because he is he said i am sitting in a completely empty apartment waiting for my american visa i have misgivings as to how it will go i am utterly and horribly alone it will be quite an undertaking to carry on all the work in america essentially i am a great man a rarity as it were I can't quite believe it myself, however, and this is why I struggle against playing the role of a great man. This is going to be the last things I write before I move over. I am a great woman and I am wearing pantaloons and I shall embark on my new life as a rarity in America. You know what I'm going to bring to America? I'm going to bring touch of class because you guys need some classed up there. Yeah. <laughs> says, says the Northern slag. Yeah, um, but I agree with you. Class. No, I agree with you, actually. I think uh, British people have much more class than Americans on average. So when did he actually move to the States? He arrived there on the 19th of August, 1939. And now he's about to become very, very famous and very, very mad, depending on how you look at it. It is true. Um, maybe a little bit of both. So in the, hey. in the 1930s, Wright coined the term, the sexual revolution. And this was to describe that, that universe of happiness and love that would arise once people had shaken off their emotional shacker, shackles, divesting the world of its you know, punitive and prurient attitude towards sexuality. So, right on, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a bit naive in this. As a French philosopher and historian, uh, Foucault observed in the history of sexuality. You've said his name wrong because his name is Daddy Foucault. You cannot okay. bring the Daddy Foucault without calling him that. Thank you. He's my favorite. Daddy Foucault. I have a Foucault tattoo, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Daddy Foucault would have loved that. He would have been honored. Um, but he observed in the history of sexuality that if the orgasm is so powerful... Foucault asks, why is it that the vastly expanded sexual liberties of the intervening years have failed to dissolve capitalism or completely topple the patriarchy, despite all of Reich's ardent predictions to the contrary? So, I mean, I think what Reich was saying that with the power of orgasm, you can harness that sexual energy and destroy any you know, system that is adversely affecting you. Well, obviously that's not happening. As a point, though, Daddy Foucault is a bit hypocritical of him to say that because he loved the orgasm so much that it gave him AIDS. And that's what he's going to die of. So, you know, he pretty much enjoyed the power of the orgasm, too. But yes, I see his point. But, but I see his point, though. I mean, he's just like, OK, if it's so powerful, if being, you know, sexually liberated is so powerful, then how come capitalism still exists? You know, how come the patriarchy still exists? How come women are still being oppressed? You know, it's a good point. And it's an easy criticism to make, but it doesn't mean that Reich's utopian vision is completely without, you know, a, a foundation. If people had access to safe sex, and especially to contraception and safe legal abortion, they are far less likely to produce unwanted children or to find themselves shackled by poverty or bound in some unhappy marriage. 
So as he pointed out in The Sexual Revolution, 20,000 women a year died in Germany because of illegal abortions. And that was between 1920 and 1932. While 75,000 became ill with sepsis from these procedures, yeah. much like his uh, girlfriend, that, that 19-year-old at the time. So you don't need to believe in the magical power of the orgasm to see why a sexual revolution is probably a good thing and is well overdue, especially for women. He's kind of a feminist. He's like an early male feminist in the, in the ways. Yeah, I mean, I was reading an article about it that was written from the point of a woman who, who uh, I think she was a lesbian activist, but she was saying like, yeah, I mean, he did, I mean, he was a visionary. I mean, he was prescient in the way that he saw like, you're liberating women sexually was something that was important for society. Whereas I don't think like Freud was out there preaching that. I don't think a lot of people. No, I also like his his ideas of also like just having even not getting married or having an open marriage. I think is re- especially for that time, it was so stuffy and footy duddy because you would be married off, wouldn't you, if you, you were no a good choice. genteel lady? You had but, no choice, yeah. And he's saying that there ha- there should be the choice. I think that's really fucking right on of you, Willie. Well, this this leg, author, and I wish I would have written down her name, but she said that she didn't think any of the revelations of the Me Too movement would have surprised Willie at all. You know, when yeah. he talked about the sexual revolution in his book, he didn't mean like an you know endless ejaculation, <laughs> you know, for for men out there, like uh, you know constant orgasms. I think he meant, or at least in her vision that he meant a world in which women could experience sexual pleasure without fear of retribution, violence, or death. And if you think about what happened to his mother and how that affected him, I think she's pretty much dead on with that point. I think she is. And I think it also sets the tone well for, like, Willie. I think he never does anything with malice. I'm going to put that out there for part two. Exactly. So next week for part two, we're going to get into... Dr. Willie's orgasm machine and his eventual descent into madness uh, in the United States, the quote-unquote land of the free. And this could be a cautionary, cautionary tale there for you, Kate Rambo, so better watch out. This could happen to me. Exactly. Story. That's why I, me and me and Willie are like this. Willie is my new bestie, my new dead bestie. Might need to get you an orgasm machine. I'm going to look into that. Uh <laughs> People, this is episode 902 here, Sick and Wrong. We've got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle. I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my little Eric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E, I am now a new man. So we got a couple phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick and Wrong Hotline. People, you can call us, leave it under three minutes. We'll play it here on the show. Or even email us, an MP3, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. We do want to hear from you. 
still trying to build up a backlog. So call in several stories and we'll just put it in the backlog. Play it eventually. Anyway, this one call is uh, very informative and gave me nightmares. So it's an informative call about a procedure that I'm probably going to get, but it did keep me up last night after I listened to it. All right, Dean, Kate, I wanted to ring in because of something Dee said a couple of weeks ago. Uh, first of all, I've been listening since about 2007. I had an old iPod 5 uh, back in the day. It was on iTunes, and I think Sick and Wrong was at number one at the time, which is probably why I clicked on it. It had a funny icon, and I've listened to it ever since, every single week. Um, obviously, right the way through the Wackerly and the Harrison years, and now Kate, she's amazing, obviously. I just, I really miss Harrison. Um, I talked to him a bit about some problems that my brother was having at the time, about drugs and suicide and stuff, so I really, really miss the, the guy. But anyway... You know, that is one thing about Harrison is, uh, you know, obviously he suffered from a lot of depression and drug drug addiction, things like that. But listeners who also suffered from that kind of felt this connection to him and would and he would reach out and he would always uh, respond. So which I, yeah, was, I, was about, I was about to say, though, that Harrison probably has like 20 seconds of like good advice. But then after that, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I was about to I was about to qualify that statement by saying not sure what he'd respond with. <laughs> might not be the the Depending best advice. Yeah. But you know, he had empathy and I think that's what people appreciated. I do like that so, this guy had an iPod. He discovered you an iPod cuz I was never rich enough to have an iPod and I had like really shitty MP3 players cuz I could never afford an iPod. So this this guy's like swingers. This guy's like Vince Vaughn and Swingers, you know, he's money. I don't know if I ever had an iPod either. I don't think I ever did. Because you couldn't afford one. They were no, expensive. I just never, I don't know, I never listened to music like that. And then I just had it on my phone. You know, after a while. MP3 but, players. But yeah, um, Sick and Wrong was available on your iPod player, as we called it back in the day. I wanted to talk to you, D, was because... Uh, you said you're going to have a vasectomy in a couple of weeks, and I've had it recently done. I'm 43. I thought it was the best idea. Don't need any kids at, at this age, so get the vasectomy done. Took about 18 months to get it. Full big ups to you there. Seriously? Yeah, I have been talking about getting a vasectomy, and it's something I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's tough when you live alone because I'd have to like deal with getting it and then getting back here. And I know like at Kaiser, they won't even let you, they won't even do the operation unless you have someone there to pick you up. And they have to talk to them to organize it. This guy is about to say, I'm not ignoring what you're saying, although I am. But this guy is about to say it took him 18 months on the NHS. I'm rewinding this part. Yeah, he said 18, 18 months, months he waited. Any kids at, at this age, so get the vasectomy done. Took about 18 months to get it on the NHS. 18 yeah, months. It's great having free NHS, but sometimes you've got to wait for some certain things. Have you ever had to wait that long for a procedure? Usually what happens is, well, I'm, I think I've said this before. I hate the word smear. I think it's so disgusting and it just already sets you up for a bad time when you're going to have your smear. But uh, yeah, I'm like six, seven years overdue my smear now because it's always like you're late to have your smear, but the next appointment you can book is seven months away. So when I first moved to America, I'm going to be like a classic car getting everything done. I'm going to go to the get dentist. The tune up. I'm going to the eye doctor and I'm going to go and get a smear. But from an American doctor, maybe she'll find my like British pussy different to the American pussy and we'll talk about that. It'll be a good time. How come you guys don't call it a pap smear? 
Well, because we're just like, you know, it's usually the Americans that are lazy, isn't it? But this time we were like, nah, we're going to we're gonna take it out and down. We'll just call it a smear. It's a horrible word. Smear. Yeah, when I think of smear, I think of like Ugh. giving a girl a dirty Sanchez and like smearing my finger above her upper lip. <laughs> I think of like a <laughs> smear of pate on a cracker, but you know, it's different strokes. I wanted to describe to you what it's going to be like so that you can look forward to it, let's say. So first of all, they, they tell you all about what's going to happen in advance, so you're nothing surprising. But you go in the room, there's a doctor and there's a nurse, and they send you into the corner to get naked. They put a little um, curtain around you, but you're only Donald Duck in it. They only want you to take your trousers and your underpants off. So then they draw the curtain back and you just stood there in the room with no pants on, which is amazing. Anyway, so they lie you down on the table and the nurse, you've already pre-shaved everything, there's no hair anywhere. So the nurse gets iodine all over you. She's like holding your cock up and brushing you down with all the iodine. It feels really fucking weird because it's all running down your balls and into your crack. But Did you get hard? I would, see, I'd be nervous so see, about that. You get a hard. nurse, you know, smearing this, smearing this iodine all over your cock. What if it like? What if you got like a uh, you know, chub? I think I might chub up a little I bit. I bet it happens. Do you think happen. they just I mean, laugh it, it off? Happens depending on the hotness of the nurse. We, I guess that's yeah, a good point. Because that's what the nurses are like. They just see you, this patient, get half a chub on, and then just like their horniness overtakes them. It's like what William Reich wanted all along. And the nurse is like, it doesn't matter that I'm at work right now, doctor. I'm going to fuck this patient in front of you because that's what happens every single day. Well, guarantee with my luck, it's going to be a male nurse. <laughs> a nurse. <clears throat> then they get a little needle and they inject some anesthetic, local anesthetic into the area so that they can uh, open up the uh, the testicle sack, I suppose. Wait, wait, wait. Do they yeah, inject you in your nut sack? Like, are they injecting your yeah. balls? Yeah, your scrotum. Oh my God, I'd freak out. You're too veg. I would definitely, I wouldn't, I couldn't watch. I'd have my eyes closed. Oh, yeah, you don't like needles, do you? Do you think I could watch? I don't know why you would. That's just, sure that, I mean, that's just properly. disturbing. It's disturbing. Why would you want to see that? Well, why not? I think it's interesting. I watched when they ripped that bit of metal out of my friend Marsha's toe once, and that was very intriguing. So this I mean, would probably just be, be the same thing. Be you know good. what I'd be like? Remember when Diana... Right, remember when Diana caused shockwaves because she went and watched open heart surgery and she had all that mascara on and all of Britain lambasted her for wearing fucking makeup in the surgery room. That would be me with my eyeliner watching you get injected in your balls. I'd be like, me, Diana D. I, I don't know if they, I don't think they would let you back there, but it would be good because I'll probably be out of it. I'm, I'm sure they kind of knock you out or something. And then you could make sure there's no monkey business going on. Because who knows what those doctors get up to? The Kaiser doctors do. Yeah. Kaiser's pretty much just one step above NHS. <laughs> so they get these needle nose pliers. They do what's called a nose scalpel technique these days. And they stick the needle nose pliers in to your into your sack Oof. and then they open it up they stretch <clears throat> open a hole so they're not cutting anything there's no risk of any blood there's <sighs> no uh, blood vessels being cut and then they reach inside to get the vastepharon which is the tube that hurts a like word. a motherfucker because they haven't been able to numb that bit yet Oof. then they get the anesthetic in, in the vastepharon and then they once that's numb they cauterize it so they cut it off you get a nice smell of barbecue then because they're using um, a hot scissors or whatever to, to See, I would be barfing at this point. If I smelled the burning flesh and then already 
I, you know, could feel them like rooting around in my nutsack, I would have barfed. Uh, they're actually rooting around for your vastefron. Yeah, the but they're rooting the around for my vastefrons inside my nutsack. Just the feeling of that alone yeah. makes me want to barf right now. See, if I was there, I'd just be showing you funny videos on YouTube, trying to take your mind off it. Like, I don't know, some elephant videos or like an otter. Some bird videos, D. Would you Ugh. like to watch 20 minutes of bird videos? Now, that would be torture. Having someone rooting around in my nutsack for my vas deferens while being forced to watch bird videos on Instagram. I'll, I'll, I'll take a hard pass on that. <laughs> Seal those two tubes off and cut them. There's no plaster or anything because the tubes just go back inside and when they pull the uh, forceps out, there's the, the skin just stretches and goes back together again. Wow, that's weird. Um, you basically, they do that on both sides. Not a very pleasant oh. experience. But... What, they got to do on the other side too? Yeah, you got two vastephalons, mate. You're double vastephaloning it right now. I think it's, isn't it vastdeferens? I thought you were saying vastephalons. No, it's vastdeferens, I think is what they call it. Oh, I, I like vastephalons a lot. More, <laughs> I like the vastephalons. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I didn't realize that. I thought just if you cut one... Then you're good. I didn't think you had to cut both. God, why don't they have two doctors doing it simultaneously? Because that will cost more. I kind of think it will make you want hot dogs afterwards. Like that barbecue smell. Maybe we could go to, um, what's that German place I really want to go to that we haven't been to yet? Wiener Schnitzel. I really want to go to Wiener Schnitzel. So maybe afterwards we could go and get a root beer float and some hot dogs from Wiener Schnitzel. I don't think I'm going to be wanting to sit down eating a hot dog after this. I'm going to want to cry and go take a to. long shower. <laughs> so not, not too painful. You've got a completely rest of 48 hours with tight underpants on. But then within a week, I was back to the gym and everything was basically normal. The fun bit is hey. in the next four months, you've got to ejaculate 25 times to make sure all your tubes are clear and there's no old little fellas hanging around. And then you've got to go to the hospital, spaff in a cup and prove that so they can look at it under a microscope and prove that you're not fertile anymore. It's a great experience. I hope you look forward to it. Speak to you later, man. I like that. I love that British attitude. Attitude. It's like it's a top experience. It's a great Just time. In a cup. Yeah, what a great call. That was back in a cup. Um, but he's. T this is the type of advice I like, though. I like being told by people who've been there and done that what to expect. So now you can kind of be like. You've kind of lived it in a little way. So there's nothing to be scared of now. What I hate is unsolicited advice, as everyone does, well, by someone who's never done something. I've talked to a couple of friends who've had the procedure, and my one friend said that uh, it felt like afterwards, first of all, he said he had the entire area like anesthetized, so he was numb. He couldn't even feel anything. Are you talking anything. about Steele Martin? No, Sky. My friend Sky got it done. And he, um, okay. Sky actually, this is kind of scandalous. Sky had a kid with his wife. And then she wanted another one. So without telling her, he went and got a vasectomy because he didn't want another kid. Yeah, that is scandalous. Very scandalous. very scandalous. That's the sign of a marriage is going to get divorced. And he did. But um, not before he went to Mexico to get the procedure reversed because she made him. Well, yeah. that's also scandalous. Don't go to Mexico to get surgical procedures, Because well, it was too people. expensive. Please don't. It was too expensive to get it done here. So he went to Mexico to get it reversed and it didn't work. Didn't work. Of course it didn't. It was in Mex Would you let a Mexican doctor into your nutsack looking for your vastephalon? I don't want to let any doctor into my nutsack, to be honest. Well, you're going to um, have to. I mean, I will just because 
I don't want to have a kid. I think the pain of having a child, first of all, the pain well, of childbirth I mean, you know, uh, is way worse than, the, than this procedure. But the pain of having to rear a child for 18 years is way worse than the, what, 20 minutes of discomfort and the week of, re- of recovery. Getting I'm tired your, uh, of all the abortions. It's, it's time for you to take one for the team <laughs> and for me to take a step back. Yeah, but you said abortions are fun. Like you go in there, you get up in the stirrups, shoot it out. The second and- time, I'm not going to lie, the second time because I was so hopped up on oxygen, I did have a fun abortion. The first time I didn't because I'd never been there and done that. But by the second time, I was like, I know exactly what to expect. And as soon as they said, do you want painkillers? I was like, you bring that oxygen in here bring the oxygen tank straight up to me and, and I was the, huffing it like I was Dennis and like <laughs> Dennis the fourth and fifth time velvet. like the fourth and fifth time you're telling me they oh, were like oh out. hey it's K Rambo again high five like bend over yeah. and you're just like okay let's go let's do it girls I'm like oh this time I need some of the, the better opiate bring him in <laughs> bring him you into put the on blue some velvet Elton room. John <laughs> yeah you know I don't know but anyway Sky was telling me that when he got it done um, he said it felt like someone kicked him in the balls for like a day or two. Like, and then he goes, I was fine. He was like, you got to rest up for like a week. He's like, but the first couple of days, it just felt like someone kicked you, like need you in the balls. I'm trying to equate like what I got my first period when I was 13 and I'm now 38 and I still get period pains every month. How many years of period pains is that? In- including where I've been, had such bad period pains that I've been sick like physically vomited. Yeah, I think you can sm- you can take one and get your delephalons cut. <laughs> what are they called? Vasdeferens. You know, I, I could. Believe me, I, I know I could do it. It's fine. It's just getting a medical procedure freaks me out. And getting one at Kaiser in particular freaks me out. So I'll have to figure it out. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm definitely going to get one. It's inevitable. Um, I definitely don't want to have kids. So uh, thank you there for calling in and uh, informing me about um, my future. Um, I, I hope I have as much of an optimistic attitude as this guy does. He's like, cheerio, it's all done. It's a top, of, you know, a top experience. Like, uh, he, Great I hope I'm as optimistic as, as he is. Yeah, vasectomy Brit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next call we have here is uh, Buffalo Bill giving us an update on Vegas. And if you recall, remember that guy that fell off the roof at his blow buddy's house? Yes. Remember that? The, yes. Oh my God, is, the blow buddies. That was hilarious. You remember that? They were like taking a shower together and they had to run outside in their robes and the guy fell off the roof and then he ran like with his broken leg or something. So he calls in about that. The blow buddies. Awesome. Hey, Dean Kate. This is Buffalo Bill. And I just wanted to call in because it's been a while since I gave an update. Um, so concerning the Vegas thing, that was for, that bachelor party was for the blow buddy uh, that you called. Um, yes, uh, we had a very good time. I don't think anything out of the ordinary. We, uh, surprised, uh, groom to be with, a um, uh, a shooting. We went to one of those like crazy shooting range. None of us are very big gun people. It, you know, it was cool to shoot some big guns. Uh, oh, that is actually a really cool experience in Vegas. We did it 
for Big Jeff's bachelor party. Same deal. You go to these shooting ranges like out in the Red Rock Desert, and they're like, what kind of gun you want? You want an AK? You want a shotgun? You just get to shoot all these cool guns. And this this one had clay pigeons. So like they shoot out a clay pigeon, you take a magnum and just blow it away. I mean, when, when would you get to do that? That's cool. It's kind of like the Bill Hicks joke where it's like, what's the Tech 959 do? It's like, I don't know. And they just give you Yeah, it. but that was in Iraq. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of, it reminds me of that. But at the same time, how is anyone... I just don't understand how anyone is awake during daylight hours in Vegas. Oh, in Vegas, I d- yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't get how you uh. can plan anything for the daytime. All wore dresses. Uh, may have kept mine on. I look pretty hot. Huh. Wait, wait, wait. Did he just say we all wore dresses? Yes. I would, I would like to know, is that in mock? Like, why would you mockingly wear dresses? Or maybe they were wearing dresses to feel sexy because I feel my sexiest when I wear a dress. Yeah, but what kind of dress? Is he wearing like a cheerleader outfit or is he wearing a French maid outfit? Is this he is wearing what I mean. evening gown? Mockingly? Like, yeah, I want to know. Were they wearing dresses with pantaloons? Underneath? Yeah, did you have pantaloons on? Was there sequins? Like, give us more detail here, BB. We all wore dresses. Uh, may have kept mine on. I look pretty hot. Uh, if I do say so. And, oh my God, shut up, dog. And no, let then, the dog speak. Uh, concerning the gentleman who fell off the roof, yeah. the reason he just ran away, D, is because I live in Texas. And typically, when you have someone roofing a house, there's a chance that they are a migrant worker. So they can't really go to the hospital. And somebody who sees somebody fall off a roof, if you're semi-decent, the natural inclination would be to call 911 to get them emergency help, especially if they've landed on your property from a roof next to you, and especially if their arm is invisibly broken. Uh, I mean, he's got a point there. You know, it's like if this guy goes to the hospital, he has no identification, they're probably going to deport the guy. I love how he's still skirting the issue, though, because what I really remember is that he was talking that he went over to a buddy's house and then he got in his buddy's shower. <laughs> Baby, tell us why you're showering at your buddy's house, because that's what cracked us up. I remember this. I remember it now. Like, I really don't care about the roof guy anymore. I just want to know why you shower at your friend's house it's weird well aren't you supposed to shower after sex (laughs) or before if you're really polite i'm here before yeah Um, some men do that before you know uh p-town p-town had a maid that uh used to come over he had a maid yeah when he first moved in they hired a maid for a little while i think i don't think though i don't think they actually have her anymore this is like a few years ago a slave no she was a maid a lot of people in la have maids some old Mexican. I actually, lady. I'm gonna. Yeah, I guarantee you're I'm gonna, gonna want like one. Cleaning, with... but yes, if I'm making <laughs> enough money, I definitely don't want to spend my weekends cleaning, and I will have a really sweet Mexican woman come over and clean for us, slash help us clean because I also find cleaning very therapeutic. So I will have to do it. But in an ideal world, I'll have my own bathroom, and you'll have your bathroom, and she'll clean your bathroom, but not mine. That's she can the clean the whole house for mine will I'm already concerned. be clean. It's not that expensive actually. I mean, you I think it's helping the economy and helping people that, you know, are immigrating here. She Legally can teach me Spanish and, and I'll teach her English. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't mind about it. So anyway, they hired this this elderly maid, and he used to have these like really treacherous <laughs> looking steps going up to this like in-law no. unit. And he told her, like, you don't have to clean the in-law unit. It's fine. Just clean the main house. But I don't know if she understood. Went up there to go clean it. And as she was coming down holding her bucket, she bit it on the stairs and fell down the stairs. And Oh, like in Eddie Murphy. Well, no, it was like, they were like, no, they weren't like a regular staircase. It was just like stairs in their garden. But still, she, she was hurt. And so they were like, oh, my God. And they're freaking out about it. Mainly, Pat was like, well, you know, I could get sued over this and I don't want to take any chances but also I mean he was worried about her you know her well-being and so he ended up being like I'll take you to the hospital you got to go get get uh you know looked at I mean it looks like your ankle might be you know at least sprained if not if not fractured and she was like no absolutely would not go to the hospital so he ended up just like being like well let me give you money if you're gonna go see a private doctor and so, yeah, I guess they have their own doctors they go to. And he gave her like 600 bucks or something. <laughs> they have their own doctors well, they go to. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, people who aren't, you know, like a, a legal citizen. You There's know what? Doctors I you can go done. to. I would have quickly gone and watched the start of Goonies. And everything that Corey Feldman says to that maid about how, so we're a couple inside this house and we have a secret sex dungeon. And you discovered our secret sex dungeon. And now if you talk about us, we'll kill you. I would have just repeated all of that back to her with my obviously photographic uh, memory. And I'm really good at speaking Spanish. So it would that's have just really, come off really That's well. a very ironic bit of uh, dialogue for him. Considering, wasn't he in a sex dungeon and then did a whole documentary about this a couple of years ago with him and Corey Haim? He did. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've never put two and two together. Interesting. Oh. Interesting that he would say that. Maybe it was a real life experience. Anyway, I think she was fine. He never heard back from her again, and nothing ever happened legally. <laughs> I think she was fine from her but, doctor. <laughs> but I can understand what Buffalo Bill's saying over here is, I can't yeah, the guy was the like, I don't want an ambulance coming and take me to the hospital because I'll probably get deported. So that's why he took off. So he ran away as to not maybe interact with this, uh, with emergency services. So I'm not a hundred percent. I mean, obviously you can't know for sure, but I don't get why a bunch of guys would see somebody fall off the roof, grab them, throw them in the back of their truck and then leave the site instead of waiting for an ambulance when someone's like clearly hurt. So, yeah. Uh, hope you all are doing well. I, I'm going to go take a Bye. Take a shower at your friend's house. <laughs> I love that he's like, and I'm going to go. Thank you. Bye. Keep sick. Keep going. Yeah, he's not. He's not explaining how he takes showers at his friend's house. That is the biggest question I had, and also the biggest laugh I had from the phone call. Who takes showers at their friend's house? That is very weird. I don't really know. Yeah, I don't really know, like, why, unless you were staying. Maybe he was staying at his friend's house for a couple of days. Even then, it's still, like, did you shower at JoJo's house? Of course. I, I was bet there JoJo for like, has one towel. I was there for, like, six days. No, he had a bunch of towels. 
Oh, well, that's good. At least Jojo has some decorum. Yeah, if I didn't shower. Plus, it was so hot there. Like, I was covered in sweat. If I didn't shower, it would have been very gross. And he has no AC. I w- yeah, but you could have gone to, like, I don't know, the local Y. I hear they have <laughs> Which I think would be worse than showering at Joe's house. <laughs> showering at the YMCA in New York City. Anyway, Buffalo Bill, it's good to hear from you. Would like to know a little more information on what type of dress you were wearing and why you were wearing dresses. Um, What did the groom think about that? Was it in mockery? Or solidarity? I don't know. Uh, People can call the Signal Hotline 323-522-4032. Once again, big up to all the listeners who who, uh, support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Um, Also, if you want to get some merch... I'm actually making some new stickers, which uh, will have a QR code on them. So I'm going to put those up there on, uh, I don't know, I'll probably send them out to the patrons and things like that. And you can put them in your local bar urinal, like right above the urinal. Just so when people are pissing, they could be like, oh, let me pull my phone out and find out what this podcast is all about. You know what we'll do as well? So the first patron who can tell me how many times I said the word pantaloons in this episode will send you some merch. Patrons only. It's a good thing. Okay. Anyway, go to sickwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Get yourself some merch. Uh, finally here, Sick Wrong Song of the Week. Gutted to find out last uh, Friday on the 30th of June, Rick Froberg, frontman of uh, massively influential bands like Hot Snakes, Drive Like Jehu, and uh, Obits, passed away on the age of 55. Young guy. Very talented. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rick was so cool. I mean, it's San Diego is all crying right now. Like, I feel bad for all my friends and buddies down well, there. But every time I met Rick, he was always so cool. Yeah, you like met him personally. You guys played with him, right? Not played, but uh, I definitely stalked him on tour with Hot Snakes and John Reese. And then it, the first time I met him, he was like, you know, he was drinking a lot, and that was still fun. He was still good. He's a good drinker. And then the next time I met him, he was sober, but he was still super funny, great artist, and, like, it's just really sad. And Yeah. So John Reese from Rocket from the Crypt also played guitar in Hot Snakes. Um, was he in Drive Like yeah, Jehu? and Drive Like Jehu. And Drive, Drive Like Jehu, yeah. too. So Speed he confirmed uh, that he passed away from uh, natural causes. Actual, his death was due to an undiagnosed heart condition. Which is sad. Kind of makes sense of Rick, though. I kind of get that. Like, I know it sounds like weird, but I think his a uh, like long-term girlfriend put up a post about how Rick would never have like hung around of a disease that would have killed him slow. I I get that. I think like obviously I didn't want Rick to die, but uh, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the way things are. So um, many good people have gone this year. It sucks. They're a very influential band, like that kind of post-hardcore type sound but um bands like uh at the drive-in mars volta always cited uh drive like jehu is one of their biggest influences yeah they're awesome i love hot snakes though hot snakes so fucking cool yeah i've seen hot snakes like uh, probably at least four or five times and maybe four times i've seen rocket from the crypt i used to see a lot they were a great band um we'll go to like the new year show new year show but um yeah, they're all part of that San Diego rock scene, and they put on some put out some great albums. You know, even um, the song we're about to play is off a recent Hot Snake record uh, called uh, Jericho Sirens. Came out in 2018, and it's it's a great record. I didn't have this one, so I was listening to it last night, and I was like, oh, we should end the show with uh, I Need a Doctor, because we're talking about Dr. Wilhelm Reich. 
and uh, that's yeah, a great song off that album. The same album I went out and like partied with them in Paris and stuff. So it's like they're all just such legends, like just in the best like possible drinking way possible as well. They're just like such cool guys. I love all of Hot Snakes, and I hope they're all like. What can you say? What can you say when like your fucking lifetime buddy dies? There's like no words. It's but you know, the empathy is there for them. It does suck. Been there. Rest in power, Rick Froberg. You will be missed. And uh, people, go check out Hot Snakes. Great band. Also, Rocket from the Crypt. If you're not, if you're not aware, and Drive Like Jehu. I don't really know Obits. I never really listened to them. Then you. I haven't even seen Obits yet. I think they've only played a handful of shows. But hey, when I move over, we're gonna be San Diego adjacent. We'll be going to see them. Yeah, be a cool band. We're gonna end the show here with Hot Snakes. I need a doctor. People will be back next week with episode 903 and part two on uh, Mad Doctor Wilhelm Reich.
Okay. I wonder what a dolphin penis tastes like. Is that gay? <laughs> <laughs>